And welcome back. So first question, Matthew 12, 32 says, if we speak against the Holy Spirit, we will not be forgiven. Uh, I, read, I read the text in the remedy also and don't understand the meaning. Uh, don't we need to accept Jesus also as well as the Holy Spirit? We can speak against Jesus and be forgiven, but not if we speak against the Holy Spirit. If we speak against Jesus, aren't we also speaking against the Holy Spirit and God and the Father? So this is talking about functional reality, how reality works. Nobody can be saved without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that's reality. But how you experience that salvation is, is not through physical Jesus coming to you and giving you a Bible study. You experience it through the Holy Spirit working in your heart. So the Holy Spirit renews, regenerates, brings to conviction. Jesus said, I, it's expedient for you that I go. If I don't go, this comforter won't come. When the comforter comes, he's not going to speak on his own. He's going to speak only what he hears, and he's going to take what's mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is the communicating agent from Jesus to our hearts and minds that brings us to conviction and to conversion. And when we accept that, then the Holy Spirit reproduces or circumcises, the metaphor circumcises the heart, or renews us, re- recreates us, and so forth and so on. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit that actually um, brings us to repentance and applies in the life of individual believers what Christ has achieved for us. Now, that work can be done in individuals who haven't yet actually heard the name Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, those who have not heard the law, that's Torah, that's scripture, those who haven't heard the law, but do by nature the things contained in the law, are law unto themselves, showing that the law has been written upon their hearts. That's Romans 2, starting verse 12, you can read. And what's the new covenant experience? I will write my law upon your hearts. So these people are reborn into salvation, right relation with God, through the work of Jesus Christ, because it's only the work of Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit's applying, even though they haven't heard it. And if you want other supporting texts for that, in Zechariah, it describes those who in heaven will say to Jesus, where did you get these wounds in your hand and your feet? And Jesus says to them, I received them at the house of my friends. When you get to heaven and you have your conversation with Jesus, will you actually say to him, Jesus, I noticed you've got some wounds in your hand and feet. I don't understand. Where'd they come from? Will you ask him that? Or you know where they came from. So the the implication there that some people in heaven are going to be asking that is that they don't know the gospel story, but they've been saved. So then back to your question. People can be saved uh, without necessarily hearing the, the historical gospel account but they cannot be saved without the victory that Christ has achieved in their behalf. And that victory is applied through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in Romans 2.12, is following up on what he said in Romans 1.20, because there's no chapter and verse divisions when he wrote it. He's telling a story. In verse 120, he said, God's divine nature is seen in what he has made, so that men are without excuse. And so they're seeing the reality of the principles of God that are built into nature, and the Holy Spirit works in their heart. And if they surrender to that, then open their heart, then the Holy Spirit takes the victory of Christ and gives them new heart and right spirit. So it's still salvation through Christ, but they haven't heard about it. If you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, though, there is no other agency whereby you can be saved. And so this is, so if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, meaning, and the Holy Spirit has two attributes that are described as being the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of love. And so if you say, oh, no, I don't like truth, I prefer lies. Oh, no, I like selfishness rather than love. And so you may claim some type of religious conversion, but you blaspheme by harboring in your heart deceitfulness, uh, false witness, um, uh, selfishness, exploitation. You're blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're hardening your heart against God, and there is no salvation left for you. You can't do that. 
okay? But a person could have a, have a representation of Jesus Christ brought to them by somebody who teaches a fraud. Remember, Jesus said many, many messiahs go out in the world, so they, they have a representation of Jesus, and they reject it. And when people tell me they reject Jesus, I always say, tell me about the Jesus you, you don't believe in. And every time so far, when they tell me about him, I go, good for you, I don't believe in that one either. And so people may re- think they reject Jesus, but they actually haven't rejected the true Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit works to bring the truth bare to the heart. But if you reject the Holy Spirit, there's no, no other agency to bring you to conversion. That's what that's really talking about. Okay, John 1.18 says, uh, no, man had, has ever, no man at any time has seen the Father. Oh, that's right. Um, is, not scriptural, is it not scriptural to conclude that Jesus is the, o- is the only God this world has ever seen, and the Father was not present in the Garden of Eden? The Father did not reveal himself in person to Abraham, Noah, Job, or Daniel. Uh, you can absolutely make that case from Scripture. Um, Paul makes the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the rock that, uh, that Israel drank from in the wilderness was Jesus Christ. He actually says explicitly, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, that the rock that they drank from in the wilderness was Jesus. Okay? And so you can absolutely make the case that the, the member of the Godhead, who has historically always been the go-between, it says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God lives in unapproachable light. Unapproachable because an infinite being. Light is a, is a metaphor for truth and, and, and power. And, and he's an infinite being. And finite beings can't enter infinity. And God wants a close, closeness with his creatures. So if we can't enter infinity because it's beyond us, we couldn't process it, it would overwhelm us. A member of the Godhead leaves infinity and interacts with his creation. Jesus has always been that member, the go-between. Uh, in heaven prior to sin, the, the, the case is made that Jesus manifested as fully God, manifested in the form of an angel to interact with his angels. And he came in the form of a man in Old Testament times, manifesting in the form of man. And in Bethlehem, he actually partook of humanity and became human. So I, I think you can make the case that, yes, Jesus has been the member of the Godhead who's been interacting with man from the beginning. In fact, he's the member of the Godhead through which creation occurred. Nothing was made, uh, all things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So you can make that case as well. I've uh, seen many theologians supporting the rise, uh, rising doctrinal support for theonomy, the enforcing of laws of the Old Testament by jurisdiction of the state. Is this a clear case of the rising principles of the king of the north in response to the principles of the king of the south spoken of in Daniel 11? I, that's, that's the way I see it. Um, for those who aren't familiar with that, uh, my view of the king of the north and king of the south, king of the south symbolically in the whole long prophecy is represented as Egypt, and Egypt is representatives, Pharaoh, who, who is God that I should know him? So symbolically, the king of the south, represented by Egypt, represents those philosophies through history who deny the existence of God. That would include communism, atheism, leftism, wokeism, all that stuff today would be king of the south. King of the north is represented by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar converts as he sees the fiery furnace, and immediately in Daniel, after his conversion, he immediately passes the law. Anyone who uh, says anything bad about Daniel's God must be put to death. Religious imperialism, which also became Romanism. And in the name of God, we will burn people at the stake and go to the crusade. And these two systems, godlessness that denies God, believing in God, but use power to say to enforce, king of the south, king of the north, battling back and forth through history. And the beautiful land, God's people are caught in the middle. And the real goal, these are both Satan's agencies, king north and south, is to have a battle to draw the beautiful people to choose a side. And the last movements are that the king of the south attacks the king of the north, the king of the storms out against him, takes his power, and then Michael the prince stands up 
and the second coming happens. And I think all this wokey stuff that you're seeing in the world, this godless, this communist, all this kind of stuff you're seeing is the, the, the final tactic of the South that's going to inflame the, the, the righteous wrath of godly people to tempt godly people to p- take the power of the state to go and punish the godless. And, and, and you leave loyalty to the kingdom of God, which is not of this world, and become part of the king of the North. I think that's the big final temptation. Yes, yes. Uh, could I go back to your previous reading there of uh, Jesus Christ being the Savior mm-hmm. uh, and, and the interactive in creation? Uh, I don't know if you saw this this week, the little 18-month-old or 15-month-old baby that fell down. He was in Romania, a, a pipe, fell down 18, 20 feet. And they're digging, trying to get to it. And you see the people there, the parents are there. And this little nine, eight, nine-year-old boy is standing there. And they realize he'll go down this 18, 20-inch pipe. At first. And he willingly says yes. They put a belt on him, his waist and his feet. And upside down, they lower him in to this and he brings up this baby. It's so touching. What a great, what a great story. Wow. And I made a comment. I said, let us make man in our image. That's something that's inside us to save people. We will give our own lives. That, that's, that's exactly what yeah. this little kid, he didn't worry about that. You see his daddy talking to him, giving him the last instructions. But I said, that's in all of us. Now it gets obliterated and stuff. But there are still people, humans, created in God's image, who have the ability to give and sacrifice. And that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Whenever you see self-sacrificial love at work, it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit work, and it is not natural to the carnal nature. The carnal nature's natural desire is survival of the fittest, me first. But it is also, we're created in the image of God, so it's in there someplace. I agree with you, because of the intercessions of Jesus Christ. As soon as Adam fell... God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the sermon. God has been interceding in the hearts of us to give us that and may say sustain that God image desire because without God's interventions right from the fall, we would have united with Satan in perfect rebellion against heaven and we wouldn't have any of that. So yes, it's there because we were made to, made to have it, but it's also there because of God's continual intercessions to keep it there. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Um. Please share, suggest for, the, for helping survivors of church cults differentiate between false theology and true, uh, realizing God's actual character, love, and grace. So, you know, I would, I would say it's, you, we use the integrative evidence-based approach. You want to find truths that you have confidence in that are testable, provable, and reliable and are not uh, situational. And so uh, I would tell come to our website, start on that link if you're new, and go down, and you will find the testable truths of God that are, that are shown to be true in Scripture, shown to be true in science and nature, and shown to be true in life experience, how reality actually works. There are a lot of these testable truths, and when you actually know those truths, then, it, then you really can't be deceived away from them because it, it becomes silliness. Um, there are certain objective realities. So I can give you one right now in society. It says in Genesis, God created them male and female. Okay? That's Scripture. Okay? No, it says it right in Scripture. But you can look into science. You can test with chromosomal uh, uh, XY, XX chromosomes. You can look at every cell of a, of a body as either male or female. And then you can also look in your own life experiences. 
All three come to the conclusion. There are males and there are females Amen. in the human species. Okay? That's exactly right. That, that, you don't have to be wondering, but you also can then see there's a real assault on truth in society today. There's a fantasy. There's a delusion going on out there that suggests something else, that that's just made up. Okay? Yeah, and, and people who don't know how to actually look at evidence, who, and there's other approaches to wanting to know truth. The, the godly approach is Hebrews 5.14, the mature are those who develop by practice the ability to discern right from wrong. We learn to evaluate. Come, let us reason together. Your sins are like scarlet. We learn to think, reason, and understand truth, and the truth will set you free for what it is. We can think for ourselves and draw our conclusions. And we settle and stand on truth because it's actually measurable, uh, evidence-based, and it's true. Another way, though, is to trust a voice of authority. <laughs> Somebody with a degree who's gone to college and has studied has told me, and that is in scientific circles, that's in theological circles. Somebody maybe hasn't gone to school, but somebody has a divine gift. Somebody is inspired. And because they're inspired, who am I to question what the inspired source says? So if, if I were in the New Testament church and Peter came along to, to, to give an evangelistic series in my church and, and he told us we shouldn't, shouldn't associate with certain uncircumcised fellows, I would have to believe that because he's an inspired source and I couldn't question that. Thankfully, there's another inspired source who could call him to account publicly because he was wrong. Am I right or wrong about this story? Understand, inspired people can be wrong. Did that mean Peter was no longer inspired because he was wrong on that point? Well, he's no longer inspired because he was wrong on that point. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Only, uh, you should read my blog about infallibility. Only God is infallible. Angels, sinless angels in heaven, were not infallible. A third of them fell. Sinless Adam and Eve in Eden were not infallible. And certainly sinless humans, even inspired by the Holy Spirit, are not infallible. So, we, we must be fully persuaded in our own minds. So I encourage you have to study and use, use those testable resources. If there is an infinite outer space above, why does Genesis 11 say, come, uh, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. Uh, so you have to interpret, uh, is this literal? They actually thought they were going to build a a physical structure that made it into heaven. If it is, it would show certain ignorances about the cosmos and how we get to heaven. Is is it that they were building together a tower of power, a a tower of worship, a tower of who they were going to believe in and the methods they were going to use? Notice it says, so that we may build our name, a name for ourselves. Okay? This is all about exaltation, power over, a system of rulership, of governance, so that we can be, remember, remember if you put together this with Isaiah 14, uh, Satan in heaven, Lucifer in heaven, wanted to exalt himself to the most high. He wanted to take the throne. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to rise up over. I think this is really describing Satan's methodologies that they were wanting to apply again to create a system to tower over, a tower of power over others. I don't think it was really describing physical reality, and somehow they were going to build a tower that stretched to the planet Orion. 
Just recently, I heard that some of the same symbols in Revelation can both represent God and Satan. Growing up in SDA schools and studying beyond, I have never heard this. Revelation 9, uh, chapters, characteristics, and actions, and riders, and beasts, and so forth, and so on. So I went to the remedy and found that your interpretation seems to be symbolic of uh, the beast. He also uh, saying uh, uh, 200 million are from heaven, and and so forth, and so on. Um, so I would tell you, it's not Revelation that does this. The whole Bible does this. You will find that the Bible is very clear that the serpent represents Satan. In Genesis, in Revelation, you find it. But when they had the, the scorpions and the snakes bite them in the desert, they were to make a brass or bronze serpent that represented who? Jesus. That's right. Uh, you find that Lucifer uh, means bright and morning star. That's the, so in the New Testament, we are to put our faith in the bright and morning star. Uh, that uh, Greek is phosphorus, where we get phosphorus, translated into Latin is Lucifer. Jesus is the Lucifer, okay? And, uh, and so that is an application, because Jesus is the light which lightens all men. Lucifer before his fall was a light that was to give light to God. And so Jesus was a light, Lucifer before his fall was a light. It's just two lights. How about, how about um, a lion? Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You will find through Scripture there's always been two heads of two systems, and the one false system is constantly trying to present himself as the other. So they, these symbols, yeast, you can find yeast representative of both the, the, the yeast of sin that you shouldn't have, the yeast of the Pharisees, and the, the yeast that uh, causes the, the, good, um, the good to grow in, in the heart. So all these symbols are used um, back and forth because there is a controversy between a true and a false version. How uh, do design law, liberties, uh, etc., shed light on Jesus cleansing the temple uh, in, in his earthly ministry? It was written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a house of thieves, uh, that he uh, cleansed it at the beginning, cleansed it at the end. This is a great question. When Jesus, uh, the, the, the Old Testament, and I would tell you, go, go and look this up in Desire of Ages. Beautiful description of Desire of Ages. That, that she describes that, uh, that that temple was an object lesson um, for, the, for the human soul. That his cleansing of that temple was his acting out in object lesson form, his plan to cleanse the hearts and minds of people from sin and selfishness. And, uh, and there's many object lessons uh, that, we, that we can go through on this. Uh, if you think about him using power, if you, he, he cracked a whip, how many people did he beat with that whip? No. What was he driving out? Not with the whip. They ran, they ran because of because the animals. The animals are trained to respond to a whip. He cracked the whip so the animals would get out. Okay? And that's what he did. He was driving out the animals that they were selling at marked up prices. He turned over the money tables. But if you read the entire account on all the various gospel versions and put them all together, you will notice that while he's doing this, the children stayed by. Now, I want you to imagine in any church that you belong that on the middle of services, you go up in such a way that you turn over the pulpit, you turn over the communion table, you turn over the offering, you do it in such a way that all the elders of the church and the pastor run out terrified, but the children don't get frightened. 
Great children's story. <laughs> right? Right? So, 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 and I'm going to suggest to you what happened here. Um, this is my suggestion. It doesn't explicitly say this, but I can make the case for it, is uh, that a little divinity flashed through. Just like you see when they came to arrest him, a little divinity, and they fell down. And the little divinity, those with guilty consciences, felt the conviction, and they wanted to flee from the heavenly light. But the children with innocent consciences were drawn to the heavenly light. And that's what I think happened there. Thank you very much for the Bible study. As usual, you ha- do you have some recommendations on how to love a temper tantrum boy? The- <laughs> So, so um, I, I would first, if you're having a child with serious temper tantrums that are, that are outside the norm, because all kids have temper tantrums. I had temper tantrums. Come on. Okay? And, and, and I'll tell you how my mother dealt with them. I had a temper tantrum. <laughs> Go sit on your bed for five minutes without making a sound. <laughs> That's 10 minutes. <laughs> That's 15. You want to try for 20? That's exactly what happened. And I learned. And sometimes I had some, some, you know, some warming of certain parts of the body. And I was better for it. I was better for it. I, I need that. So I would tell you, though, uh, if, if you feel like the temperature is outside the norm for child development, then you should get a, a professional evaluation. You should evaluate, is there something, is there, is there, is the child got a sleep disorder? Sometimes kids with large tonsils have sleep apnea, and with sleep apnea, they're in and out of um, stage one sleep all night, and they're not getting the deep restorative sleep, and that interferes prefrontal cortex function, which makes them more moody, more aggressive, and they have less self-restraint. You get the tonsillectomy, and, uh, and then they actually sleep better, and their behavior improves. So that could be a reason. Um, they may have a particular food allergy. A particular food allergy, if they happen to have one, or other types of allergies can also cause behavioral problems. So you just want to get a good physical. Make sure that, that you're not trying to behaviorally modify a physical condition. Um, but once you have, have cleared uh, the, the physical condition issues, um, then, then you want to uh, then look at other media. How, uh, how, much, how, how much digital media are they getting? How much outtime playtime are they getting? I will tell you, there's a real relationship between television watching and, and behavioral disruptions. And if you uh, detox a kid who's pay- spent a lot of their babysitting hours, their TV is their babysitter, uh, this can result in a lot of behavior disruption. Get rid of the TV. Uh, give them other activities to do and give it about uh, six to eight weeks and, and they will actually settle down and they will be less. And then, and then put healthy foods and get out the junk foods. A lot of kids have a lot of sugary, junky foods. They eat fast foods and junk foods. They, uh, parents don't cook real food anymore. Nutrition has a huge impact, both the actual nutritional elements, but also the food choices affect the gut bacteria, and the gut bacteria produce various neurotransmitters that affect brain function. And so getting back to healthy living for the kids. So there's a lot of potential physical reasons and other reasons that the child may be acting out. So I encourage you to do a a whole assessment to make sure the child's got everything healthy in their life. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the truths you revealed to us, and we just pray that we can be effective representatives of you, because our longing and our, our, our prayer is to see you soon. May you come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.